Yeah, well, it's five o'clock. It is here in Salford. How are you doing? Are you well? How is things? How are you doing? How is she cutting? My name is Richie Allen. I'm the BBG. I'm with you till seven o'clock. Two really interesting guests today. They're always interesting. Michael Rivero from WhatReallyHappened.com. That is the brilliant website, WhatReallyHappened.com. Mike joins me this hour. And the investor and academic Melissa Shumay joins the programme a little bit later on. Good to be with you. To be with you, good. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your... Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Yeah, that's me, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Right, let's get on with it then. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. And I think you know by now, if you'd like to join in, the way to do that is go to the website richieallen.co.uk and comment live. The top of the menu bar, it says comment live. You can leave a comment there and I will read them uh, out as we go along. That is my promise to you this Tuesday, uh, the 25th of October 2022. I'm going to get straight into it because there are a few things I'd like to speak about before Michael joins me on the programme live today. Follow up to, I took some phone calls last night just after six o'clock. They were very interesting, they always are. And I spoke with Stephen, who was in Northern Ireland, and he talked about losing his sense of taste and smell after having the virus, the virus, the C virus, COVID, coronavirus. We talked about this And I've had an email from Mark. He says, Richie, it's good to have you back. I listened to the show yesterday and I was blown away by your caller, Stephen. Anyway, I'm pretty much of the same opinion um, as, as because I and my partner, Christine, had something very nasty back in July 2021. Christine took on well and I took her to Belfast for a test. I know, he says. Uh, She tested positive, which at that time meant I had to isolate as well for 10 days. So when I became unwell the next day, I didn't have to test as I was covered with work for the next 10 days. I was covered for the absence, he says. We had a miserable few days and both of us lost our taste and smell. Now, Christine got hers back. It returned, but mine never came back. It doesn't bother me now, but I will be trying zinc and ginger. We both have been around people lately that have taken unwell and tested positive, but they have not had it uh, as bad. They haven't so much as had a sniffle. We both remain unjabbed. Take care, Mark. And uh, Stephen came on the programme yesterday to talk about losing his sense of taste and smell and to ask the listeners, could they be of any assistance to him? And the number of you were, lots of people got onto the website yesterday and yesterday evening to leave uh, little bits of advice for Stephen. So thank you for, for doing that. And here's another email, a little unrelated. It's from Andy. Richie, I've been a listener's, listener of yours for about a year now. He says, genuine question. Absolutely no ridicule, he says to me. Well, thanks, Andy, for not ridiculing ridiculing me. He says, you've talked in the past about the online harms bill, which might come into effect soon, which might take you and other independent media creators off the air, make you unavailable. Now, you've recently upgraded your studio 
at a considerable expense, he says. It's great, by the way. Thank you, Andy. My question is this, he says. If it is possible that you will be taken off the air, then why go through the hassle and expense of upgrading? And then he goes on to say, there is absolutely no hate in this question at all. I'm just genuinely curious. Of course, I wouldn't take it like there was any hate in it. It's a good question. I've answered it before. I got depressed and fed up, so I blew up the studio, effectively. I ripped it out. I got tired of it. I wanted something new. It's like driving the same car for years. And you decide you want something new. You don't really need a new car. You know, the car you've got is perfectly okay. And you don't want to acquire a new car because you want to, I don't know, keep up with the Joneses. It's not because you want to draw attention to yourself. It's because you're fed up of it. And that's what happened to me. And it's why I did what I did. And the money that comes into the Richie Allen Radio Show through your support, um, pretty much all of it goes on paying for the streaming of the programme, for the podcasting of the programme, which is very expensive. But it also goes into the programme to make it sound well and to, to keep improving it. So that's the reason. It's a good question, yes. If you feel that eventually they will come and try and prevent you from doing what it is that you do, Baldy, why would you go to such hassle and expense? Well, th- that's the answer. It was out of desperation, really. You know, some way to kind of rekindle my enthusiasm for that, which I do, particularly because the last three years, two and a half years, have been very difficult. Has it worked? Well, it has, for now anyway, because I'm pretty happy with it. Um, a, a great, great day for the British Asian community. A great day. And and its Indian community. Because Rashi Sunuk got permission from the king. Say it properly, Richie. Rashi Sunuk received permission from the king to form a government, thus becoming the first person of colour to make uh, it to Downing Street. Yes, he became the first person of colour to make it to Downing Street and not be there to deliver a takeaway or a package from Amazon. Fantastic. Uh, Biden has destroyed Rishi Sunak, by the way. He has dubbed him Rashi Sunuk and he'll be called Rashi, presumably, to his dying day. You don't live down that sort of thing, do you? Go on, Rishi. The private school educated upper middle class family guy who married an heiress to billions. Oh, and he worked for Goldman Sachs. But people of colour in the UK today are telling you, dear listener, that it is progress. It is progress. It shows that society is really, 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 really tolerant. What's wrong with you? He's a privately educated, private school, upper middle class twit who married somebody with billions and he earned millions while working for Goldman Sachs. Tell me how that's Progress. It isn't. It's just another one. It's just another privately educated banker with millions who's taken over at the top of the Conservative Party. Not much progress there. Leave his bloody ethnicity out of it. It doesn't matter. It only matters if you if you want it to matter. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg is out. Business Secretary Jeremy Hunt stays in as the Chancellor. The Cabinet reshuffle continues as I speak with you. The media is salivating over it. But really, don't get excited about the Cabinet. It's the same coke-sniffing, adulterous, sleazy shower of bastards that it's always been. No change there. Right? Uh, election? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Labour and the Liberal Democrats are screaming for one, as is the Scottish National Party. Please give us an election. You don't have any mandate. 
but I talked too much about that yesterday to carry on. Uh, but this did make me chuckle, though, on the issue of ethnicity and this being a great day for tolerance in British society. Here's um, Shailesh Vara. He's a Tory MP. Shailesh Vara. He was recently the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, although he didn't hold that position for very long. Now, he was born in Uganda to uh, Indian parents. So he's a bit of an Indian. He's a Ugandan Indian Briton these days, is what he is. He told Sky News' Sarah Jane Me that this is great for race relations. And so we've come a huge way, a very long way, in our own lifetimes. And I think what this shows is, uh, one, the greatness of, of uh, our great country, uh, but it also shows the willingness of people to actually recognise and accept people from other backgrounds. And so long as they are integrating and playing their part uh, in society and being part and parcel of the UK. Hang on a second. The, the British people didn't elect Rishi Sunak. And if memory serves, the Conservative Party membership clearly rejected Rishi Sunak when he stood for the leadership back in June and lost to Liz Truss, or July, was it? Or was it August? I can't remember. So he's not been accepted yet by the British people. Maybe we are a big dirty shower of racist bastards, maybe. Who knows? Then they can advance. But uh, certainly, Sarah Jane, uh, the country has come a long way since I was a child uh, and uh, faced discrimination uh, myself. I remember uh, standing in a shop with my mother and uh, we were just ignored until all the white people behind us were served first. Uh, and uh, that Really? He stood in a shop and... With his mum, what was that? I remember uh, standing in a shop with my mother and uh, we were just ignored until all the white people behind us were served first. Hey, listen, if you are of um, Asian heritage or if your background is, is Asian and you are old enough, did that sort of thing go on? That if you came into a shop and you were Asian, you got served when everybody else had left? I mean, I remember the no blacks, no dogs, no Irish or no... No dogs, no blacks, no Irish. Were we at the bottom of that pile? Were we the Irish? I remember reading all about that stuff. But did that go on? Did it? I mean, if it did, the Asian community, the Indian and Pakistani British community, they certainly took their revenge, didn't they? I mean, they just went and bought the corner shops, didn't they? Didn't they? Is that racist now? You can't say that. Is there a white person running a corner shop in the UK in 2022? If there is, let's get him on the, on the programme. You know, there wasn't an awful lot of vulnerability there, was there, in the Asian community. They seemed to deal with that overt racism pretty well and got on pretty well. And this guy's become a Tory MP and a Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, so he's done well too. Uh, and uh, that was it, and you just accepted it because that's the way society was in there. But you obviously didn't accept it because Asians, as a group of people, took over every corner shop in the country and went on to do quite well for themselves. Right? They didn't need the state to intervene, declare them to be vulnerable and to make special allowances for them. People just got on with it. Those days. Of course, it wouldn't uh, happen nowadays. Uh, and that's all, of course, for the good. Yeah, from not being able to buy a house to getting the keys to number 10, that is a huge shift 
in society. And, and but that's got nothing to do with Rishi Sunak not being able to buy a house and getting the keys to number 10. He's a Goldman Sachs banker married to a billionaire who was brought up in an upper middle class family who went to a private school. It's got nothing to do with him. Shall we leave that there? Let's leave it there. Hey, listen, this morning I was listening to BBC Radio 5 Live and the Nicky Campbell show. And it was interesting because Sonia Soda was on the programme. Now, she writes for The Observer and she's a bit of a lefty. And I think it was obvious she was brought on to criticise Rishi Sunak or Rashi Sunuk as Joe Biden has dubbed him. Let's let's keep talk, let's let's just keep let's that's it. It's Rashi Sunuk from now on. I mean, if the president of the United States is wrong, we're all in trouble. Do you see what Biden did then? Just after calling him Rashi Sunuk, he he then got lost in his own garden. Do you see that? The president of the United States got lost in his own garden and had to be fished out of there by one of his aides. Is it wrong to talk about that? Is it is it sad? D- d- despite the fact that Biden is who Biden is, despite Biden's past, I mean, he is, he is a system whore if ever there was one, Joe Biden. But now he's a frail old man who doesn't know where he is, what time of day it is. Uh, he certainly doesn't know how to pronounce Rishi Sunak. We, we learned that today. So is it unfair and is it lousy? Anyway, what were you talking about, you big, bald bastard? I was talking about Sonia Soda. She writes for The Observer, brought onto the BBC this morning to basically to be that person to criticise Rishi Sunak. And in doing so, she gave... uh, She didn't give anything away, but she dropped what we might have once called a truth bomb. She dropped a truth bomb on everybody in terms of who really calls the shots in politics in 2022. And I think it's, you know, so a lot of those MPs seem to have forgotten that Rishi Sunak, I think, is actually quite overrated in terms of his political competence. He's They all are. He's got a lot of credit for introducing the furlough scheme during the pandemic. He got a lot of credit for introducing furlough, right? Which he did. He introduced the furlough scheme, which is a wonderful scheme, this, really intelligent. Let's borrow billions and billions of pounds from our own bank, from the Bank of England, at interest, by the way, through gilts or bonds, and let's give it to people to stay at home and not work. That's pure genius, really, when you look back at it. But Sonia quite rightly points out here that it wasn't really Rishi's idea. Fair enough, although, you know, that was, he had a number of seniors treasury civil servants around him who were the architects of that scheme i think yes say that again sonia it's very important a number of senior treasury civil servants around him who were the architects of that scheme i think yes and the truth she'll set you free i've been telling you this for years these guys don't write policies they don't invent policy on the hoof they don't come to political parties with ideas about how to shape society they are front men and front women for other people Of course, Rishi Sunak didn't come up with the idea of furlough back in the year of our Lord 2020. Of course he didn't. It was given to him as policy and he just read it aloud. It's as simple as that. Watch Casino, Martin Scorsese's film about how the mob used to run Las Vegas and how that came to an end, how the mob were replaced by corporate America. He talks about how a man who worked in real estate called Philip Green was given a loan of $170 million by the Teamsters Pension Fund to run, to build and to run the Tangiers Casino. In effect, Philip Green was just like Rishi Sunak, 
Tony Blair, Boris Johnson. He was a stooge. He was the acceptable face of gangsterism. He was the guy given the public face of it. He's the guy, he's running the casino. In reality, he was a puppet. Gangsters back east in Kansas were running the casino. And that's how it goes in politics today. Rishi Sunak didn't come up with furlough. He didn't come up with eat out to help out. These were policy ideas given to him by those in control of him special advisors, think tanks and civil servants. But he also made some phenomenally bad decisions during the pandemic. We know that it was him who was pushing for a later lockdown because his advisors were briefing that, you know, about two or three times during the course of the pandemic. That's really poor economic judgment because we know that when a virus is growing exponentially, actually, if you're going to act at some point, you need tougher measures that have more economic pain later on, the later you leave it. And he also has bad political judgment, I think. Um, so, you know, the Treasury and he sort of, they weren't prepared to fund um, support for children during the school holidays who would normally get free school meals with the cost of their meals. With yeah, so Sonia Soda doesn't like Rishi Sunak very much, but she dropped a nice truth bomb there. Furlough wasn't his idea. But then again, you and I knew that. It's uh, richieallen.co.uk. That is my website. Please get on there and leave me a comment. Michael Rivero joins, will join this programme in about 10 minutes' time, just over 10 minutes' time. I'll also be joined a little bit later on by Melissa Schumay, the academic and investor. And we're going to be looking ahead, Melissa and I, to the coming months and what we can expect. We'll talk a little bit of finance. We'll talk a little bit of hyperinflation, the cost of living, the energy crisis and much more. And if there's anything you'd like me to put to Melissa, please, again, leave it at commentlife on richieallen.co.uk. Um, what was I going to do next? Was, was I going to try and read your comments? I was. Yeah. Yeah. None of this is planned. It's all up in the air, you know. That's how it goes with me. Let's have a look. Let's get to some of your comments now. Uh, Mark Windows will be on the programme on Thursday, by the way. Hugely interesting guy, always is. And Thursday promises to be a very interesting programme. So don't miss that. Let me give you a little heads up for that. Oh, God, come on. I can't get it up there, you know that. that you know what? That's a double entendre, if ever there was one. Hey, just leave it at that. I can't get it up there. I can't get the comments up there is what I mean. Can't get the comments up there is what I mean. I'll bring them up. Uh, when the website's a bit slow and you have problems connecting to the live stream, do so via Richie, via TuneIn Radio, that's TuneIn.com, or via FabRadioInternational.com. It's probably the best way uh, to do it. What am I going to play? Shall I play a song and then get the comments up? Shall I do that just for a change? Shall I? Okay, I'm going to do that. Okay, RichieAllen.co.uk. And it's obvious, Richie, that you haven't got a song. I know it's obvious I haven't got a song up. I know, I know, I know. Right, I've got the comments up. Here we go. Forgive me for that nonsense there. Uh, David says, has anyone else realised the two most powerful men in the country are both jug-eared? He's referring to the king. He's not my king. And Rishi Sunak. Not so powerful and only a millionaire, not a billionaire, but coming in a close third is another jug ears, who apparently, if you believe his nonsense, experienced racist abuse as a school kid in Leicester, he claims because of his olive skin. Did he? Has he said that, Gary Lineker? That he was racially abused because of his olive skin? Uh, Lineker would expect us to accept that monumental bollocks 
when in his school days in Leicester, he would have been surrounded by far more easy targets for racists. That's David. Thank you, David. Uh, Craig says, in the 70s and 80s, it was fairly common for bikers to be barred from pubs. Discrimination happens for all sorts of reasons. Absolutely right. Hi to Scottish John. Hi John. Hi to Charlie who says, I heard Julia Hartley Brewer tell her viewers slash listeners to go to another channel if they believe in the global elite or certain members of her establishment warmongering. She doesn't believe in the World Economic Forum conspiracies. Is that what she said, Hartley Brewer? That, that any listener who is interested in exploring the World Economic Forum and the idea that there is a global elite manipulating events that they should piss off and go and listen to somebody else. Fair enough, I suppose. Brian Smith says he knows a corner shop owner who earns £50,000 a year in cash. Uh, Chris says, Richie, as you were saying, the political arena is a soap opera. People love soap operas and drama. Maybe that's why they keep voting, asks Chris. Maybe. John says, the election will only provide the same shit with different Muppets. That's absolutely true, I believe. Hi to Seamus Connolly. Hi, Seamus. Hi to Melanie, who says, I lost my taste, my sense of taste and smell in the spring of 2020, but no symptoms at the time. I was, however, gardening every day underneath chemtrails, says Melanie. Thank you, Melanie. Thanks for your comments today. Hi to Kiki, who's looking forward to the programme. Thank you, Kiki. To John Spargo. Thank you, John. Hi to Florida Man. John, thanks for the link, Florida Man. And hi to Linda, who says there is a Facebook page called Died Suddenly News. People from all over the world are commenting on there. It is heartbreaking, says Linda. Thank you, Linda. I was sent some interesting news stories about people who died suddenly, including a radio presenter here in the UK who died in the middle of his programme. You see, I understand when you send me links like that what it is you're getting at. I totally get it, like. I really do. But nobody knows. When you you read a story telling us that, when we read a story telling us that a radio presenter dropped dead in the middle of a broadcast, yes, you marry that to the raft of stories emerging from around the world of people dying suddenly, and you get giddy with it and you think, oh, the, the jobs. But we don't know that. We have no idea how, how what sort of health the, the gentleman enjoyed or didn't enjoy. You know, he might have been unwell, the chap. You just don't know. I know that Megan Kelly of Fox News announced that her sister had died of a heart attack. You know Megan Kelly, the blonde, the platinum blonde who works for Fox News and uh, one of these glamorous presenters. She'd been she'd been on air very recently saying that her sister had died of a heart attack. Everybody piled in. The jabs, the jabs, the jabs. Turns out that her sister was in very poor health for many years. Right, okay, you might say, well, if she had a jab, you just don't know. Thank you to Owl. Owl says, and this lost of taste and smell is a mystery. It happened to me at the beginning of the year, that's this year, 2022, but I lost my taste far more than my smell. 
That is interesting. Olan says the same. I've never had a jab. Last December I was hiking in the Lake District carrying a 22 kilo backpack. I was super fit. Then two days later I couldn't walk a flight of stairs without needing to rest. I spent three weeks bed bound. I sweated profusely every night and to this day, even though I am fully recovered, I cannot smell most things. And particularly mustard smells like a toxic chemical. That's very interesting. Because when I was a young boy and I would get a respiratory illness, which I was prone to as a young boy, I detested the smell of malt vinegar. Malt vinegar was for me like water is to a dog that has rabies. It absolutely disgusted me. But then when I would get over the infection and I would get back to fairly good health, good health, the smell of the malt vinegar, which I loved on my chips and and, and, and fish fingers and what have you, it would become normal again. I could endure and and enjoy the smell of malt vinegar again. That's vinegar again. That's very interesting, that. Very, very interesting. Uh, Thank you for that. Okay. It's uh, 24 minutes past the hour. Melissa Chumay will join the programme very soon. Looking forward to hearing from her. It's been ages. It's also been quite a long time since Michael Rivero graced this particular programme. Shall I take a tune then? Go on, take a tune, you big baldy gammon. Let's take a tune. Uh, plenty more comments, please. I like reading them too. RichieAllen.co.uk. Comment live. Yeah, that's the one. It's a bit mad. It's been a mad day today. I've been running around doing stuff all day long. This is Jackie Wilson. Your love keeps lifting me higher and higher on your Richie Allen Show, Tuesday's programme. Cold, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases. We all get them. Never before have your body's defences been under such constant attack. Now more than ever, it's essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Immunex 365 has been specifically formulated to maximise the effect of each ingredient, giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show can use their special 15% discount code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. Now with two-day track delivery free. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. And you're very welcome back. Michael Rivero should be standing by. In fact, he is. He'll be with me in a moment. In a moment. I'm going to keep soliciting your comments, but I know there are issues with the website at the moment. There are issues with the website. And listen, don't think now that I'm being a bit narky when I say this. I'm not at all being a bit narky. But um, I have noticed one or two, not many, and to be fair, they are reasonably polite, comments asking us when we're going to do something about that. When are we going to do something about the connectivity? Uh, One person saying it's about bloody time. Um, I don't have a webmaster on call. I also don't have inexhaustible resources where I can go and pay somebody to do this sort of thing. 
Um, so we, we just have to bear with these things, you know. We, we, we've just got to roll with the punches, if you understand. Um, let's get Michael Rivero on the programme then. Uh, Lee needs even very little introduction from me. He has been broadcasting live radio programmes successfully for many, many years. He is the man behind the terrific website, whatreallyhappened.com, which has been, uh, how, how would you describe it, I suppose? It's been cutting through the detritus and the nonsense of mainstream media and bringing you the real news for many, many moons now. He's an old friend. He's been coming on this programme with me for many years. Welcome back. The one and only Michael Rivero. Michael, aloha, welcome back. I know you're not in Hawaii. Aloha, nui nui, except uh, I don't live in Hawaii I know that. now in Indiana, so, you know, we, we say, who's your daddy or something like who's that. Who's your daddy and what does he do? Well, <laughs> let's, let's, are you as excited as your president, and I, I know he's not really your president, but are you as excited as the president seemingly is about the election of Rashi Sunuk? to the leadership of the Conservative Party and uh, the keys of number 10 Downing Street. Are you excited about our new Prime Minister or is it a case of um, same shite, different day, as we say in Ireland? Well, uh, I'm very, very concerned. Uh, You know, it was kind of amazing how rapidly they got rid of Liz Truss and uh, Sunak, he's a globalist. Uh, he's, uh, you know, uh, he wants to open up Great Britain's borders. And uh, I, I think in this case, uh, if you want to know who the prime minister of Great Britain is, it's the globalists. It's the globalists full stop, you say. Of course, Sunak came out of banking, didn't he, for Goldman Sachs. He's, yes. b- he's believed to have participated in the these youth programs at the World Economic Forum. He's married to a billionaire and her father, or excuse me, he's married to the heir to billions and her dad is, well, his company is going to be very prominent in the rollout of the social credit system, isn't he? And the cashless society. Uh, Yes, uh, he's definitely in bed with the Great Reset. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think what we're seeing is the continuation of a trend that began in 2020 when the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And uh, the globalists have invested so many years and so much money in their ideology. Uh, we've definitely reached the point where there is absolutely nothing they will not do uh, to carry out their plans. The only fly in the ointment, so to speak, is that more and more people are waking up to what is being done to their world and their society. We're in the end game then. Before we talk more about that, let's stay briefly with your uh, president or the, the, the president of the United States, Joe Biden. Um, it looked very much like he had to be helped to find his way out of his own garden yesterday. Now, it's tempting to do two things. One, to laugh at that. It's also tempting to be a little bit more humane and say that whatever this guy represents and whoever he is, he's still a very senior, maybe senile, a very senior old man. Um, what's going on with, with, with Biden, Michael? How bad is this guy's health? And if he, if he is really bad, why does he remain in office? Well, because he does what he's uh, being told. Now, on a personal level, uh, even though I've never met him, uh, you know, I I do have sympathy for him because I've known a lot of people suffering from uh, dementia and uh, mental decline. And so, uh, you know, uh, my sympathies go out to him, and I hope they're able to find some way to make him any better. But my concern is this is the guy 
who holds one of two keys to start a nuclear war. And when you look at all the gaps and goofs and mistakes that he's been making every time they let him in front of a camera, uh, you know, you have to say this guy is really not capable of carrying out the job of president of the United States. It was only a day ago that he referred to Kamala Harris as the president. Uh, he seems to have forgotten what his job is. And uh, he makes ridiculous comments like uh, he uh, wants to ban assault weapons and he doesn't want any gun uh, to hold more than uh, eight bullets in a round, which if you know guns, it doesn't make any sense at all. But Joe Biden is somewhat familiar with firearms. He owns two shotguns himself. Uh, so that was another one of these Biden moments, I guess. Michael, can I ask you about gun ownership? I know it's something we've touched on over the years, you and I. I don't get involved in opining on it too much because I don't know very much about it. But just to be the devil's advocate, because I know I've got a lot of listeners in the United States of America, as you do on this side of the pond, and some of my US-based listeners, they think I'm very naive when I ask the question, what is fundamentally wrong with trying to move remove even the very serious weapons, the deadly assault weapons from people's hands. Why aren't shotguns or rifles or handguns enough? Why do we need to have the sale of really deadly, you know, theatre of war type weapons? Well, this is where the propaganda gets confusing because an ordinary hunting rifle is actually far more deadly than these assault rifles. Uh, assault rifles based on military weapons are, are designed to wound, not to kill. In order, you know, it's a numbers game on the battlefield. If you shoot one of your opponent's soldiers and kill them, that's only one man down. But if you wound them, then that's three men taken out of the opposition force. The wounded man and two more to carry him out. And uh, combat is always a numbers game game. And assault really isn't a, a description. It's a verb. Uh, any weapon, if you use it in an assault, becomes an assault weapon. If it's a beer mug or a crowbar or whatever, uh, you know, it could technically be called an assault weapon. Uh, gun enthusiasts in this country choose to call them sporting rifles. And the reason they're so popular is they're lightweight, they're reliable, they're easy to modify, easy to repair. And uh, I, I hate to play down to the worst stereotypes. They're just plain fun to have. Uh, here in Indiana, the gun laws are, are, are very uh, non-restrictive. Uh, in fact, uh, last July, they passed a law, you no longer need a permit uh, to open carry. And uh, you do see uh, guns on holsters on hips every once in a while. The problem with a gun ban is that no gun ban in history has ever resulted in lower crime. Every one of them results in higher crime because the criminals don't give up their guns. Uh, if anything, it makes guns yet another piece of contraband to be smuggled into the country, uh, you know, and sold at a huge, huge markup. And, uh, you know, we've had a war on drugs going for decades now. The drugs are still pouring into this country, in fact, more than ever before with this fentanyl uh, epidemic. And all gun bans do is disarm the law-abiding population. And uh, there, there, there are numerous studies, the San Diego Police Association uh, and, and so forth, and they all say the same thing. Where there are guns in the hands of law-abiding citizens, crime will go down. Now, years ago, there was actually a town in the state of Georgia, uh, Kennesaw, and they passed a city ordinance saying that every home had to have a gun. And crime fell by 90%. You're kidding me. So, the, the, no, I'm not kidding. The whole point of the gun is deterrence to crime. 
Nobody wants to get in a gunfight. Nobody wants to be, you know, doing the fast draw on uh, at high noon on Main Street. Uh, but the idea that guns might be present uh, is a deterrent to crime. And if you look at all these uh, mass shootings, uh, either being staged for political gain or somebody's off their medications or something, they always happen in the gun-free zones because that's where people know nobody's going to shoot back at me. It's a giant open-air shooting gallery, and I can have fun, and nobody's going to be shooting at me. Of course, that didn't work with yesterday. Yesterday's uh, uh, shooting at the high school, the, the police did manage to uh, uh, kill the assailant. Uh, apparently, his gun jammed. Uh, so, uh, uh, but again, overall, uh, you know, when when you have an armed, law-abiding citizenry, criminals are going to go somewhere else. Criminals are always attracted to places with strict gun laws because they know their victims can't fight back. And just in case some of our listeners don't know. Um of what Michael is talking about, it's the shooting in St. Louis yesterday, in St. Yes. Louis, that, that saw three people uh, killed and seven injured. Michael, just, just well, one... one of the three people killed was the shooter. Was the shooter. Just, yeah. a, just a final word on the weapons. Let me take you back to something you said at the beginning of your answer. You said that the, the very powerful multiple shot weapons that we see in theatre of war, you said they're often used to wound and they don't do as much damage as, as other rifles. But, but I've got to say to that, my retort to that would be, soldiers are trained professionals. They're very specifically trained to know what they're doing. You, you, you can't guarantee that when you're dealing, you know, when you're talking about an ordinary citizen. That's why I'd be worried about these guys. I don't mind people. If I lived in the United States, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not my country. I, you know, I couldn't argue with somebody who wanted to have a gun for personal protection. A rifle, I understand that. I could, I could respect it. But, um, not one of these machine gun type things. I just don't get that. But look, well, final word really on that. Machine guns. I mean, uh, if you want to own a real fully automatic machine gun, it is legal in the United States, but you have to pass a background check and there's a huge, huge tax on it. What uh, the Biden administration is referring to as assault rifles are semi-automatic versions of the military weapons that they look like. Now, the military version, you hold the trigger down, it just keeps on shooting. With a semi-automatic, it's one shot per trigger pull. Then you got to release the trigger and pull the trigger again to get a second shot. And uh, as far as uh, the training goes, uh, I am absolutely in agreement that anybody who is going to uh, purchase and use a firearm uh, take a proper gun safety course. And I, I think I can hold up as an example the tragedy that took place on the set for the movie Rust uh, with Alec Baldwin, where he accidentally uh, fired uh, a gun on set uh, and killed the cinematographer, wounded the director. First of all, there should never be live ammunition on a movie set. And uh, when I was working in film, there was actually a company, was called the Ungun, and it manufactured perfect replicas of famous firearms, but you couldn't put a bullet in them. Instead, there was a little pyrotechnic and smoke charge that was fired electrically. And so it would look and sound like a real gun, but there was no bullet coming out of the end. But getting on back to Alec Baldwin, uh, had he gone through a gun safety course, he would have known. Rule number one, take nobody's word whether the gun is loaded or not. You clear that weapon for yourself before you use it. You clear it again before you hand it to somebody else. That's engraved in granite. And, uh, you know, if Alec Baldwin had gone through a gun safety course, uh, that cinematographer would still be alive. Uh, I understand the direction. 
director is recovering. Uh, but again, yeah, yeah, safety first. Guns are not toys, and people do need to be uh, taught about them. Uh, you know, when I was in school, I'm giving my age away here. Um, uh, you, you are allowed to bring your guns to school because, uh, you know, on your way home, when you were walking home, you'd go through the farm fields and chase the varmints out. And, uh, you know, at school, you just leave the gun in the uh, cloakroom. There was never a school shooting when I was growing up. Many schools had gun clubs, and they got the firearms as a, a military surplus from the U.S. government. But somehow, between then and now, our government has become very afraid of the American people because the American people are getting tired of the always going up taxes, the mismanagement of the economy, the constant declaring of wars on everybody all over the planet. And, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing all the recipe, all the uh, pieces necessary uh, for there to be a new civil war. And I don't want to see one of those, and I, I know the federal government doesn't want to see one of those, uh, but their idea is to, on the basis of some spectacular newsworthy crimes, to justify seizing weapons from on people who just use them to target shoot, or people who like to build antique firearms, recreations of antique firearms, and just punch holes in paper. And ultimately, there is that issue that crime is exploding all across the United States of America, and while that is happening, the government seeks to disarm the American people. Now, I've been in that situation myself. Years and years ago, when I was living in North Hollywood, uh, somebody broke into our apartment and uh, was rummaging around, and all I had to do was put that laser dot on the forehead, and the would-be socialist departed in great haste. Would and thankfully, socialist. I did not have to pull the trigger. Would and to me, socialist. that is a very positive outcome. The funny thing is, when I called the police to report the attempted burglary, and, and I told them I chased him off you know, with a, a, a firearm, and they said, oh, well, we don't do reports on that. You know, we don't want to know how many crimes are thwarted by gun-owning citizens. We're only interested in uh, where one person shoots another and we can say, you oh, know, guns are bad, guns are bad, guns are bad. I'll let the socialist remarks slide by because I love you. I'm not going to get okay. into that. Listen, um, on guns and shootings, do you yes. have any sympathy with the owner of Infowars, Alex Jones, being order to pay compensation to the families or some of the families in Connecticut at Sandy Hook because of comments that he made repeatedly about them being crisis actors. Do you have any sympathy with them? I'm not trying to put you on the spot, by the way. No, I'm no, really you're not interested. putting me on the spot because I'm very sympathetic to the situation and we are seeing this trend of trying to use defamation lawsuits as a weapon against the First Amendment right to freedom of speech. Now, Alex Jones may have been wrong. He may have also been right. We don't really know for sure. I mean, there are a lot of questions hovering over Sandy Hook. Uh, but I, I think what uh, the government is trying to do is use lawfare uh, to uh, just make an example out of Alex Jones in an effort to discourage the rest of the independent media from, uh, you know, pointing out where the government is lying and, and, and playing tricks on us. You know, though, because you've been doing what you do for a long time and you're on a very short list of people that I respect for doing it properly, you know that there is a big difference between offering an opinion about a shooting and saying, well, I don't think that really happened because I, I don't see the evidence for it and I've met Wolfgang Halbig and I've met this person. There's a difference between doing that and constantly doing it day in and day out and whipping up your listeners into a bit of a frenzy. It could be well, argued, Michael. I, let, I, let, me finish, let me finish, let me finish, let me finish, let me finish really quickly okay. and I'm going to All shut right. up. I'm saying it can be argued that that basically is tantamount to harassment and bullying. 
there may be an argument that it was incitement if Alex Jones uh, said, let's go over to their homes and protest or something. Uh, but I'm a strict constitutionalist. And, uh, you know, everybody has a right to their opinion. And if you think they're absolutely wrong, you have an equivalent right to stand up and say, I think you're wrong. And here is why. Uh, and that's the way it should work, uh, you know, in a proper democracy. Or actually, we're a republic with a democratically elected uh, government when they're not stealing the vote. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, Alex Jones, it is protected speech. And, you know, you can't have freedom of speech and not have somebody somewhere who is bothered by it or troubled by it. That's one of the tremendous uh, uh, issues you have. Uh, the First Amendment gives you uh, freedom of speech. But along with that does come a responsibility yes. uh, to, uh, you know, not be intentionally hurtful and, uh, you know, and, and try and get your facts straight. And, uh, you know, the First Amendment was out there to protect the truth, not to protect a bunch of liars. Now, where Alex Jones is on that spectrum, uh, I don't know. But I've, I've had um, uh, Wolfgang on my show as well. And, uh, you know, the, the, there are some compelling reasons uh, to uh, think that things are not as we were told by the government, remembering that this is the same government that assured us Saddam had nuclear weapons, that Assad was gassing his own people, uh, that COVID came out of a bat cave, and so forth and so on. I mean, we, we're Americans are the most lied to people on the face of the earth, and that's pretty well documented. No doubt. I'll give you my final word on this before we, we turn back to other events and stories in, in your own country you have a responsibility to offer right of reply to the people that you are criticising. Now I have it on very good authority that Alex Jones, neither Alex Jones or anybody working with him reached out to any of the families in question to offer them right of reply. Now that's something you would have done and it's something I would have done. Yeah, that, that's something, uh, and I, I have to admit, I don't know about that aspect of the case because Alex and I had a little bit of a falling out some years back. So, uh, you know, we don't communicate with each other. Um, but uh, sometimes, you know, there, there's also the issue that uh, sometimes you have to have editorial control over your show. And as much as I value the First Amendment, there are sometimes people call in uh, that I really... Uh, think that what, what they're saying is nonsense or it's deliberately hurtful. And so uh, I'll exert my authority as the on-air host, which is about that tiny, and uh, say, I, I really, I don't want to get any more calls from this person. Fair enough, Michael. I'm hearing a lot in the last, uh, I've been away for quite a while, as, as I told you, when we, yes. when we swapped the messages. And I've come back and I've been fairly deluged or inundated with messages from listeners talking to me about vaccine injuries, some mild, but not many, uh, many far more serious than mild, and in some cases people telling me uh, about deaths. What, 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 what are you hearing in Indiana? Oh, I'm hearing exactly the same thing. There's a huge amount of uh, data that's coming out. The corporate media does not report on it because the pharmaceutical companies spend millions and millions of dollars in advertising. Uh, on these TV news networks. And those news networks, they are businesses. They're, they're uh, there to make a profit. And so uh, they won't run stories critical of the uh, people who are advertising on uh, their network. That's how large corporations can co-opt 
the uh, the corporate media to protect themselves. But there's a lot of information coming on out, and you know there's a lot of theories out there, including a deliberate depopulation um, or biological warfare uh, is going to be part of World War Three. I think accident and stupidity, uh, coupled with greed and uh, being recklessly uh, uh, driven by that greed, uh, is behind this, and it's looking like to be the biggest medical disaster since thalidomide. Uh, and it, it's almost a replay of the 1976 swine flu uh, vaccine debacle, where the government once again ordered everybody to get this vaccine. Then they had to cancel the program partway through because it turned out the vaccine was killing 50 times as many people as the flu itself was. And, you know, doctors make mistakes. Remember Vioxx? Pharmaceutical companies make oh, mistakes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, they're protected by the media, which is always out there saying, you know, the medical people are perfect, you should trust them. But, uh, <clears throat> no, they're, they're human, they, they can be bribed, they can be bought, and a lot of money is changing hands in this whole mess. I've heard some figures about COVID vaccine deaths that seem outlandish to me. And I don't mean, by outlandish, I don't mean that I would dismiss those claims at all but just incredible like in this country six figures i mean the idea that the jabs may have led to the deaths of more than a hundred thousand people i've heard figures over a million in the united states do you think those figures could be credible well it's hard to know because we're not getting accurate information even from the government in fact we're getting uh, obvious disinformation from the government uh, it's hard to tell. We do know that a certain number of people are being harmed by these vaccines. And uh, uh, going from the uh, CDC's vaccine adverse event reporting system, uh, there, there's quite a few uh, people who are saying, I got the COVID shot and all of a sudden I can't function. And vaccine injury is, you know, it, it's one of the big deep dark secrets of the medical industrial complex uh, because there are a lot of illnesses that you go to your doctor and they say, well, we don't know what causes it, but yeah, actually they do. And it's usually some product that got put on the market really before it was fully tested. Uh, I think it was only a week ago that an executive for Pfizer admitted to the European Union Parliament that they hadn't even tested their mRNA shot yeah. uh, to see if it affected transmissibility. In other words, if you got the shot, you could still pass the disease on to other people. And, uh, you know, th that's, that's recklessness bordering on criminality to me. Yeah, and they were basing their, well, they attempted to mandate the jabs here in the UK and they did up to a point and then they rolled back. And the basis for that was on, it was, it was all basically based on the idea that if you got the jab, it meant that you would be protecting people around you. I mean, it's one monstrous lie. Can I ask you a yes. question? Here, sure. here they are warning us of a twindemic of the return of flu and an Omicron subvariant in the winter, which could be mm -hmm. overwhelming for, for our health service. Is that the sort of message you're hearing now as we approach winter over there in the United States? And are you worried, if that's the case, that the Biden administration may very well attempt to bring back masks and social distancing and all of that? Well, they, uh, I'm concerned that they are going to try and bring back masks and social distancing and mandating uh, shots in the arm, even with all the harm that it's demonstrably caused and a total lack of efficacy. Uh, but we're getting it from three sides. They're talking about the Omicron variant, uh, the, uh, uh, the original Wuhan, or rather the flu, rather, and now they're wagging monkeypox at us. 
And we just ran a story a couple of days ago about how the uh, University of Boston um, is engineering an even more lethal form of COVID. And everybody's saying, why are That's you right. doing that? And, <clears throat> you know, th this uh, starts to paint a dark picture when you see it, all these U.S.-backed laboratories in Wuhan, China, all over Ukraine, all over the world, really, uh, that World War III may not, in fact, be a nuclear war as much as a biological war. Quick question on, on those. You will have listeners to your program, and these are nice people, and, and they're intelligent people, and I will have them here. I don't agree with them, but it's always important to represent their point of view. Mm -hmm. I know pretty learned people who won't accept the existence of not only COVID, but viruses in general. And they talk about terrain theory as opposed to germ theory. And some of these people, including doctors, make very powerful arguments. What about that argument that viruses don't really exist, Michael? What do you think of that? Well, uh, to me, it feels like a campaign to kookify the discussion. Uh, and uh, uh, I'll give you an example from history. Following the assassination of President Kennedy, uh, it was all over the media about the man with the umbrella shooting a, you know, a dart gun that paralyzed Kennedy so he could be uh, shot more easily. Nonsense like that. Uh, fake moon landings. Uh, that we, that's come and gone here. And uh, the technique is called poisoning the well. And that means putting out information that is so ridiculous and blending it in with the rest of the discussion that everybody just says, oh, we can't figure this out. We're going to go home here. Uh, viruses do exist. They have been, uh, you know, uh, imaged with scanning electron microscopes. And uh, uh, so this whole thing, there is no virus and COVID is uh, caused by 5G cell towers. Uh, it's just trying to keep the, the, the waters muddy to delay the formation of a popular consensus. Yeah, it's. That you you throwing in the five G towers that's a bit straw man really because um, straw man is the wrong term I'm using there. Not all of the people I've heard from now I've not interviewed too many people about this. I did in, in, in interview Kaufman about this about two years ago, but I haven't done a lot on it. But not all of them are kooks who want to kookify the argument. They're bright people who do believe this. They've looked into it and they reckon that okay. there was a divergence of medical opinion 70 or 80 years ago, you know, that prior to that particular period, the consensus was on terrain theory, that environmental factors do play a huge part in our well-being. And then there was a divergence away from that into germ theory. So, I'm, look, I'm just interested in it, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on well, it. Well, so. environment is important. Germ theory is important. Uh, viruses, and even beyond viruses, you have prion-based diseases here. Uh, but your argument that you're giving me says that Santa Claus must be real because look how many people, uh, including PhDs, say he's real to the kids. I'm not giving you any argument. I'm doing my job. I'm presenting another side to you. I'm on okay. the side. I'm on the side of... Yeah, I believe that COVID exists and I'm pretty sure that viruses do exist. But I acknowledge that there are people who also have brains and they do just as much, much research as I do. And they are good people. They see it differently. Final one for you. Great to catch up with you today, by the way, pal. It's been too long. Final one for you. Your former president is still out there doing the, you know, the crazy rallies, whooping up, you know, getting people excited about a possible comeback. Is it in any way feasible that Donald Trump, either representing the Republican Party or as an independent, might contest your next presidential election? 
Um, he might, the unknown factor is just how pervasive the election fraud is going to be. Uh, there was massive election fraud in 2016, uh, but people voted for Trump so much they overwhelmed uh, the fraud. That's why they expanded it in 2020 to the point where everybody was noticing what was going on. Now the various states are trying to put in new laws to try and keep the elections honest and fair, and uh, the Democrats are fighting them every single step of the way. They're talking about making these millions of illegal immigrants uh, instant citizens so that they can be allowed to vote in the elections. And of course, they're going to vote for the Democrats because the Democrats open up the borders and are handing out all kinds of free stuff that citizens' taxes are paying for. Michael, fantastic to, re to, to speak with you today, to reach you all the way over there in Indiana. Give our best regards to Claire, and I hope you'll come back on the program um, maybe a little after Thanksgiving, if not before then. Great to have you on, pal. Uh, well, thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you, Michael. Michael Rivero can be read at whatreallyhappened.com and there you will get all the information you need uh, to listen to his radio programme, which is uh, an exceptional listen, whatreallyhappened.com. Michael Rivero, live on the line from Indiana. The time is coming up for two and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Your comments then. Gavin says, COVID has never been viewed under an electron microscope. Now, Gavin, how do you know that? This is the thing you see. Now, don't jump all over me and scream at me. I've stated my case and I always go out of my way to make sure that the other side of it is heard. And I always mention, and I, I again, I, I make sure that I state that the opinions, th those who hold the opinion that the virus doesn't exist or viruses don't exist, um, they're not all kooks and many of them are people whom you know, I find very interesting. So I do that, right? Um, but how do you know COVID hasn't been viewed under an electron microscope? How do you know that it hasn't been isolated? You know, you can't prove a negative. Gareth agrees. Gareth McKean, never been isolated. How do you know? Patrick says Michael doesn't know as much as he thinks, in my honest opinion. I tell you what, Patrick, none of us know as much as we think we do. And that goes for me as well. Thanks to Florida man John, who says, I think the Boston College virus story is just to lay the groundwork for the next pandemic, uh, just to make us think it's a deadly strain so that we capitulate, he says. Millie says, I don't know anyone who's died of COVID, but two family members that have died following the jab. That's the truth, says Millie. Thank you, Millie. Thanks for all your messages now. Christopher says he fell out with Alex for calling him a so-called socialist. Did he? I don't know why he fell out with him. Um, herself says Michael is right about the Alex Jones verdict. The judge jury never considered evidence as to whether or not what Jones said about Sandy Hook was true. Well, maybe Jones had very bad or very poor representation, maybe. That is the crux of a libel defamation lawsuit. Alex handed them his arse on a plate. He handed up his own arse, says herself, by stating that he was wrong. But the onus was on Alex to prove that the fathers and mothers of the children were indeed crisis actors. It's up to him to prove that. But then I'm wrong, aren't I? Because libel law in the United States differs greatly from libel law here in the UK. So maybe I'm wrong. If I make a statement about somebody that is untrue, and it's defamatory. And it's on air, so it's libelous. And they decide to take me to court. The onus is on me. No. The onus is on them to prove 
that they were injured. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, in this country, there is more of an onus on the party which claims to have been libeled than there is on the person accused of libel. And it's the other way around in the United States, as far as I know. In fact, I, I know that's right. Uh, thanks to Fabrizio for the message. I really appreciate that. Uh, Steve T. Thanks, Steve, for that long post there. We'll get to that a bit later on. Um, and a number of you are saying that you agree with the Alex Jones theory, his central theory about Sandy Hook. That is that nobody died there. It's not my... I don't share your opinion. I, I'm well aware that false flag... A false flag event is a real thing. It's happened many, many, many times throughout history and I'm pretty sure it still goes on. You know, in this country, there has never been a bigger example of it than the 7th of July bombings 2005. These things do happen. They are events that are carried out by nefarious individuals to further other agendas. But I, having listened to everybody over the years, I don't believe that these people are crisis actors. I do not believe that Lenny Posner was acting. And that's my opinion on it. I, I certainly, I'm not currying favour with anybody, not me. Jesus. But um, is he entitled to his opinion? We went through this last week or the week before. Yes, he is. But then you ask, up to what point? At what point do you stop for months and months calling out people, naming them, declaring them to be liars. At what point do you say, well, I've made my point now. I will leave these people alone. That's where responsibility comes into the mix, in my opinion. And you are obliged, in my opinion, to offer full right of reply to those people you have declared to be liars and crisis actors. And I have it on very good authority that at no time was right of reply offered to those people. That's because Alex was never a journalist, ever, in his life. I used to like Alex. I knew Alex for years. Never a journalist, never occurred to him that you have a responsibility to get these people on. Obviously, you might say, because of the nature of Alex Jones' personality, it was very unlikely that any of these families would say, all right, I'll come on your programme. Alex is a screamer and a ranter. But um, you've got to cover your arse and put it out there and say, listen, I think you're a crisis actor. Would you like to come on the programme and be interviewed by me? You've got to do that, at the very least. It's uh, the Richie Allen Show, three minutes past six. It is the 25th of October, Tuesday's programme. I will be joined very soon, very shortly, by Melissa Shumay, the academic and investor. She's terrific. Don't miss her. Back in three minutes. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. And with free two-day track delivery. 
The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, I came across my next guest about 18 months ago on YouTube and on BitChute and Brand New Tube and I thought she was outstanding. She's an investor and an academic and I thought she terrifically broke down. She broke down in a, in, a, in a cerebral way, but also in a way that the audience could understand just what was going on with the economy and COVID, why it was deliberate, why COVID was a deliberate event or a deliberately uh, a virus, an incident that was taken advantage of, or it was a deliberate a deliberately staged event to crash the economy, to usher in hyperinflation and to set us all off down the path of the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. Um, You can find her on Facebook, where she has a huge following and blogs regularly. Let's welcome back to the programme, Melissa Shumay. Hey, Melissa, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, Richie. How are you? I'm great. All the better for you being on. Thanks so much. It's been a a long time. It's the third time we've spoken. And... um, I think I said this when we, we welcomed you back the second time. Things are getting progressively manic, I suppose, and almost surreal. I, I don't know how you feel about it. The third Prime Minister, the announcement today, not today, but but obviously on Monday, but today the, the, the third Prime Minister entering Downing Street in, in a matter of months. Um, talk about the return of austerity talk about um, the cutting of spending and the increasing of taxation on people. Uh, I've never known people to be as genuinely nervous as as I do now. I'm talking about the people that I meet and that I encounter on a day-to-day basis. I've never known such fear. How have you um, evaluated, how do you evaluate the events of the last few weeks and the last uh, couple of months? I suppose we can start with the political situation in this country, the very short tenure of the Liz Truss uh, premiership and and now the the ushering in of of, of Rishi Sunak. How How do you evaluate, how do you begin to even break down that? I always expected it to be Sunak um, because of his affiliation with Mark Carney. Um, so I was quite surprised when it was Liz Trust. Um, I figured that she was the warmonger and perhaps that was why she was brought in. But um, Mark Carney is very much, he was behind um, the Great Reset, the discussion of the Great Reset in Jackson Hole back in 2019. He is the creator of this green finance economy um, that is dependent on central bank digital currency, that is dependent on your digital ID. So he has affiliations with um, Sunak and had given Sunak kind of to go ahead with us. So was a bit surprised when it was Liz Truss, but um, my estimation is she was put in as um, a patsy prime minister um, to make all these claims that she was going to help the people. And then in through the back door comes Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak, who um, are going to make the cost of living crisis um, untenable. It's going to be very, very difficult moving forward. They have to get everybody dependent on the government um, in order to bring in this new system so that there's no other choice. So I would expect um, a push towards digital ID um, within the next 12 months. Um, because the end goal, by people think the end goal is central bank digital currency, 
for me, the end goal is um, the carbon credits system to replace a currency with a carbon credits system. I think that's the end goal, in my opinion. Carbon credits where where you get to purchase or your purchasing power is dependent on how good uh, a soldier you are in the fight for, for net zero, right? Something, well, something along way, those lines. Yes, that's, well, there is already a carbon credits market, um, but that's with institutions. Now, in this carbon credits market, um, 80% plus aren't actually reducing any um, carbon emissions. Um, it's an ESG score point. In fact, um, Tesla came up low in the score. Um, El Salvador had the best ESG score you could possibly get. We see what's happening there. That was because of their um, elimination of the chemical fertilizers. They're now in free fall. The, there is a finite amount of resources on the planet. And there is an increasing population, but there is a decreasing consumer demographic in Western countries. So in business, you need to be constantly expanding, constantly making more and more profits. That debt-based system has now come to an end. That was dependent on everybody being consumers. The new system that they're bringing in is a credits system, because that way we can live in the pods and eat the bugs and sell our carbon credits on so that they can maintain their lifestyle, but we have reduced our lifestyle. How would you get that in? Um, the best way would be, well, it's a rations system. So you would have to reduce the supply of everything. And they're certainly doing that with energy. Um, there's, with the price of energy, you're actually, by increasing the price, you're reducing, everybody has to reduce their consumption of it. So this is their, for me, they're quite clear about what their goal is. Um, they have stated that in their goal, the WEF has stated that in their goal, that um, about carbon emissions, reducing carbon emissions. Anybody who thinks that these people care about the planet, um, I have a chocolate teapot to sell them. It's not about that. It's about yeah. it's a control. It's another. It's a method of control, but it's also a method of profits. There is the carbon credit system that is working now among institutions. Um, like, I think it's like one credit is emission um, of one ton of carbon, or to um, you can have like seagrass and plant forests, and then you can get credits for that. So this market is um, multi-million um, currency market that's already is in existence. The plan is to move that system on to the individual. And you will start to see that you have um, MasterCard with the Do Black that are already giving you your, um, your carbon tracking. Um, you had the head of Alibaba um, coming out um, the last um, WF meeting saying that they had um, the working of the technology for individual carbon credits. That is the actual end game. Melissa, talk but about Lord, talk about Mastercard again. What is because I've read something about this during my enforced absence. I read something about Mastercard and CO two and Mastercard's customers. What is it exactly they're doing? 
It's um, for everything you buy, you will be given a carbon score. Right. So, um, and if you read, reach your carbon limit, you will be cut off. Um, it literally says that on their site. It's not, you know, conspiracy or anything. It's the do black credit card. So it tallies your carbon footprint with your purchases. And then when you exceed your allowance, you're cut off. This is what they're working towards. They're going to implement that in supermarkets as well, that your purchases will be tracked, that you won't be allowed to spend to increase your, your, your purchases. Everything is going to be given a carbon allowance. That is a way to ration everything and control everything. So um, this is going to be a slow grind. What they have to do first is get in the digital ID. Then there will be the slower implementation of central bank digital currency. This is the end goal. But if you flash forward, then you can't, if you've reached your carbon limit, you can't maybe buy no more red meat that month or can't put any more um, petrol in the car that month. It's a way to control that. And um, moving forward from that. Just before you say um, moving just before you can't afford to have children, you won't be allowed to have children because you haven't got the carbon credits. Now, that's a feudal system where one can afford. I think I... It's if they really do believe this, absolutely lead by example, sell all their stuff, rent what they need, um, and they can work that out um, themselves. But I don't think that that's what it's about. It's about um, controlling. They're moving into a subscription lifestyle, and that will be dependent on your carbon credits. Let's we'll come back to the, the, the having children thing in a moment. But mm-hmm. on, on MasterCard's monitoring of what people are buying and mm-hmm. tallying their, their carbon score. So it wouldn't just be, because MasterCard is obviously credit. So when you use a MasterCard, it's money you don't own. Would this be debit card too? Because a debit card is obviously, you're using money which you do own, which is in your bank account. Will it be, will it be both ultimately? It will be rolled out across the system. It'll be implemented in supermarkets. It'll, it, it's a slow grind, but that's, what I'm talking about is the end goal, um, but it will be a slow grind into it. Um, it will initially start with energy. That's where it will begin. But they have to create a shortage of everything in order to implement this ration system. And um, they have to create a shortage of everything. They're moving into, if you look at what the Great Reset is, it's um, a move to stakeholder capitalism. Who are the stakeholders? Um, the members of the WEF. The if people pay very much attention to you own nothing and be happy, pay more attention to you will rent what you need. That's the key point. They're moving us into we're, we're not that far off of it right now. If you think um you used to own DVDs and CDs, now you rent them. Yeah. Um majority of people technically rent their phone because they just get a new contract every three months handing that phone. You know, they think that they own it, and at the end they, they think they own it, but the the phone has almost expired. It's, it's not non-functioning after three years. Um, not unlike mortgages either, um, also in cars. A lot of people are doing the same thing in cars. So we have moved away from um, how it used to be where you would save up and buy, and now you take it home and pay after the fact. So it's a small step into then should you just rent it. Uh, but the difference between owning something is that you have control over it. Um, when you rent something, they can shut it off at any time if you don't comply with agendas or 
Do what you're um, told. Meet, meet their limits or whatever they choose. Now, now, a lot of people, by the way, you're listening to Melissa Shumay and she's an investor and an academic. You'll find her on Facebook. Um, a lot of people, Melissa, do own their own home still. Mm. How mm-hmm. would, 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 because they're, they're going to be screaming at you and me listening to the programme. They're going to be saying, well, are we somehow protected or shielded from the worst of this if we own outright our property? Okay, so first of all, what's happening next is raising interest rates. So this is, if you don't own your home, I'll take you on to if you do own your home. The next move is to raise interest rates. They, In order to stop this inflation, they would need to raise interest rates above the rate of inflation. That's impossible. It would shut down the economy. In fact, if they even got interest rates up to around 7 or 8%, it would shut down the economy because it's a debt-based economy. So they're kind of playing around with levers. The goal of central banks is inflation. It was decided by an IMF paper in 2015 that um, how governments would get out um, of this inflation would be um, the liquidation of government debt. Um, BlackRock also um, came out with a paper in 2019 saying the same thing, that um, fiscal and monetary policy would have to merge. The goal is inflation. They're going to continue with inflation. So they don't intend to raise interest rates and can't in order to stem inflation. But if you, anybody, what I need to, I for me personally, I, I think that you do not gamble with your home. So get a long-term fixed interest rate. If you possibly can, try and get it for as long as possible. Um, that would be a gamble that I wouldn't be willing to take. Now, if you do own your own home, then you're at the mercy of taxes because the only way, the government don't produce anything. All that they can do is redistribute wealth. If you look around your studio right now, you cannot find me one thing that the government produced or manufactured. Correct. They, so they don't, don't, don't produce anything. They can only redistribute wealth. The only way that they can gain an income is from printing money. Money creation takes, for every time they print money, it's taken a tiny bit out of every pound, dollar, euro in existence and putting it into their hands. And the other way is through taxes. So they're running the money printer full blast. They can't go into quantitative tightening. Um, the Bank of England tried it for a little bit and had to go right back out and print, print it to save the bond market and save the pensions. But in saving the pensions, they're inflating away the purchasing power of the pensions. So when this is done, when the central bank digital currency comes in, they're going to have to move back to the reality of the situation where they need taxes. I can see them bringing in, California was very much a test bed, so you have... Um, an increase possibly in inheritance tax. Um, you can have cap, capital gains, increased capital gains tax, your income tax. You can have, um, they have indirect taxes from fines. They will be taxing us dramatically. So if you have a house, maybe wealth tax, they'd brought that in in California. Yeah. So your house is inflated. Your house was worth 250,000 and due to inflation, it's now worth 500,000. Um, it's the same house. But now you, if it was like a 1% tax, it's a 1% of 500,000 rather than 250,000. And when the last thing to inflate in is wages, that is slowly taking it away 
from you. So you need insurance. This is so a good point you're making. To pay off those taxes. And it, then with inheritance tax, you're one generation and your wealth is gone. You know, it, it, it occurs to me that we don't have taxes here in this country like they do in Europe. So in Europe, if you own a house, you pay a tax on that every year. We don't have that here in the UK at yeah. the moment. But you can see that sort of taxation being introduced. They're going to become very creative. And you know something else, Melissa? A lawyer um, has been on this programme in the past, really, really interesting uh, uh, a guy, and he said to me, Richie, he, he said, you know, have you ever considered why your house has an energy rating? And I said, no, it's never really occurred to me. He said, well, each house in the country in recent years has been given an energy rating, a rating uh, pertaining to how sound it is at um, retaining energy, you know, at... Uh, how um how how it 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 you know how it keeps the heat and and what have you, and uh, it's it's on a scale of A B C D, and he said you know they they might very well in the future use those scales, and tell you your house is not energy efficient, and there isn't anything that can be done about that, so you're going to have to demolish and build again. These are the sorts of things that they might start to do, yeah. Landlords are very aware of that because if you are BlackRock and they, there's a demand that you have to put in a fuel pump, which would probably come from BlackRock, so it's maybe 10000 to put in a fuel pump. Um, as a landlord, you may, might not be able to afford that because it's just the latest phase, but they can because they have access to the cheap money. That's going to wipe out landlords. It's the same thing if you... If, if you are retiring age, so you're on a fixed income and they come at you with £10,000, it's also a way that, say, with interest rates, so if you're selling your home, um, there won't be, um, if your home is energy efficient, you'll maybe get a 4% interest rate. But if it's not energy efficient, it's a 12%. That's going to hugely devalue your home. So it, they can play very much once they get that system in they can very much play with it and it's to everybody's benefit everybody wants their house more energy efficient because it's costly so people are putting in insulation not because of the environment because it's um, I I, I I'm not a fan of waste so I think that that to be more energy efficient is a good thing but not when it's used for tax it's just it's a, a a new way to tax you and they have got this um phenomenon um it's very easy when you take um like a a virus or um a, a cyber attack or um climate crisis there's no climate crisis it's climate change but if you take that there's no um start or end to that there's no way to pinpoint the start of that and there's no end to it and if you are wanting to bring in a one world government, a one world order, what you would do is you would pick something like that that's not regional to a country. It's a global phenomenon. And that way you can control every individual. Now, what they're going to face is they've tried this before um, with the UN First Earth Summit and the um Kyoto Protocol, it's getting every country involved. For me, the it was very much a test 
the whole um, COVID was a test. It was an exercise in compliance to iron out the kinks for the real agenda. Because if they could get, um, if they could get every country and citizen to unite in response to this pandemic, the goal is to get them to unite against climate change to bring in their carbon credits currency. Might they declare so, a climate emergency at some stage in the next five exactly, years? Exactly. They're already they're already starting to put in that narrative yeah. into the media. But it'll be instead of taking a vaccine, it will be take a digital ID and a central bank digital wallet. So they, no plan ever survives first contact with the enemy. So they ran this out as a test. Um, so you replace um, the virus with um, a climate crisis. You replace the vaccine with a digital ID and a central bank digital wallet. So what was what did they come up against? Um, Counter information. So before they bring this in, they're going to have to shut down as much information as they can from getting out because that's where the danger lies. And that's where the online harms bill in the UK comes in and other such draft pieces of legislation designed ultimately to get rid of whatever genuine independent media there is. Yes. Yeah. That's, that was the only thing that they come up against. Now, um, the other thing that they would have come up against is, um, which they'll also come up, if they don't get everybody on board with the climate agenda for the carbon credit system if you say people were in sweden how come they don't have to lock down so they have to get absolutely everybody aboard because if people see that the conditions are better somewhere else they're going to kick up so they i think that was that was a big kink to try and get everybody in in it to try and get everybody else involved and I don't listen I have said it before I don't think it's going to work it's ideas in people's heads and they're profit based when inflation in food because right now over this past 20 years inflation has gone into assets now it's going into food and fuel so um, with Putin's speech, he was right. You cannot feed people with printed dollars and social media. You need food and energy. That's going to be very, I mean, you can't, you can't get a loaf of bread and a gallon of oil from the metaverse. So they're going to find it difficult to keep on controlling people when they start to get hungry. And when the food price goes up that's when people start to rebel the inflation now is going in it's a completely different kind of inflation i see inflation continuing and massively within food and energy but the deflation will come in the stocks bonds property those assets that have benefited from inflation over the past 20 years. That's very interesting. So the cost of living rises exponentially, pushes people to the brink and anything that they own that previously had value will see that value decreased. And that is, well, that's a terrible place to be, right, for most people. Psychologically, it's a terrible place to be. But you have to think in terms of possession right now, rather than thinking in terms of numbers on the screen or um, attaching it to a fiat currency. Um, like I said, with the house, if it's worth 500 or 250,000, it's still the same house. Yeah. So people really need to think right now, what do I want to own um, in terms when we know that inflation is going to 
um, continue, but we know that the bubble is going to pop. The debt bubble is going to pop. You have to think about what you own and consider what you own. So the property will still be the same property. It just won't be. But it, I mean, if, if we had tipped into hyperinflation in Zimbabwe, people are millionaires and billionaires, but they're living in poverty. So you need to step away from attaching it to the fiat currency and just think of actual the possession of the asset. What what for, for people listening to this now who say, okay, Melissa, what what should I own? What should I think about owning? We we did a show, a phone in show back in July, about prepping, and you know, always get calls here. I've never seen so many calls, or heard so many calls from people getting in touch to say that it, they would have thought it previously insane to even, you know, contemplate prepping for these eventualities but they're doing it now you know in terms of food and you know non-perishable or you know stuff that stays fresh for longer um what should people be think think about owning now what what would you what advice would you give them my uh, for i would be in the same boat i mean prepping for food there was doomsday preppers was a show that i would have watched and found laughable but yeah. we do know that um, there is an attack on farming. Um, there's an attack on the food supply. It's multifaceted and there's issues with supply. So you have um, issues with say, Ukraine. 30% of your wheat is coming out of Ukraine. There's issues with fertilizer. You need that gas to um, produce the fertilizer. So there's a reduction in fertilizer. Bayer have come out and said that they weren't going to be able to fulfill contact, um, contracts for pesticides. So what we're eating now is a previous growing season. The effects that they're having right now on farming, we see now in New Zealand, they're protesting. And what was it? Was it 10% or 20% on methane? That's right. Um, so, yeah, they... So that's for now. So that's the growing season now is being impacted. We won't feel the effects of that until next year. So what we see right now as the energy crisis, take that and 12 months from now, it will be a food crisis. Um, there is fires in production plants. There's issues with um, shipping. It's not because the price of fuel has gone up, which means the price of con- transport has gone up. So... I would personally, absolutely, I do have um, a supply of um, foods. I tell people that it's insurance. Um, you get car insurance, car insurance. You don't want anything to happen. If you know that these problems are in the supply chain and with um, fertilizer, et cetera, so there's going to be a lower yield, absolutely. You know, And if you, if you don't use it, give it into a food bank. You also need to, for me, um, precious metals, um, heavily undervalued um manipulated market jp morgan will find close to a billion in 2020 for manipulating the silver market you have the BRICS nations pretty much coming out and telling you that they're going to tether to gold um china for me aren't announcing how much gold they have right now because they have um Three trillion in assets, um, treasuries in America. So that would devalue what they have. Putin did come out and tether to gold. So 
there is my prediction would be in within the next three years there will be an alternative like a challenge to the reserve currency that will be um a basket of about 20 plus commodities that basket will be not valued in price in dollars it'll be valued in grams of gold and it won't be long before oil is no longer priced in dollars and that will bring in that will strengthen the new reserve currency so if you are aware that they are buying in gold central banks are buying in gold it would be wise to um if if it's long-term savings gold is the best known hedge against inflation so there's a Savile Row suit um, idea that the Savile Row suit would have bought Savile Row suit by £1,500 roughly um, 100 years ago. It would have been the same price. So it's a hedge against inflation. If you can't afford gold, um, silver would be the, the number one thing that I would tell people to buy. It's like not even £30 for an ounce of silver. There, It comes out of the ground at like 16 to 1. Um, it's 80% of it is used in industrial metals. And the ratio in terms of ban it right now is around 90 to 1. So it's probably the best asset. There's no investor that wouldn't tell you to have a wee portion of silver at the minute. And it's insurance. So that would be the two things. It would, and anything that you think that you're going to need in the next 12 to 18 months, because right now the supply that we have was already priced in and bought in. They don't want to store that. The supply issues are going to start to come with the increase in um, fuel. The supply issues are going to start filtering down and China is going to start closing. There's also, with when they raise interest rates, the suppliers will realise that there's not going to be as much money available and they will reduce production because it's cost push um, demand pull for inflation it's grim this isn't it it's important to talk about it but it is grim it's 24 minutes to the top of the hour you're listening to melissa shumay she's an investor and an academic um been on the program in the past i think it's got a really good grasp of this economically as uh, as well as otherwise you say you say you know the precious metals and i've heard this from, from from other people who I've listened to over the years on this program. Let's let's look at the next let's let's look look at the next twelve months. Then, what's to say? And I, I'm not I, again. I'm I'm not trying to be. Um, I, I'm not trying to uh, you know turn a blind eye to it or to ignore it. But but what's to say that there won't be some resolution in Ukraine and some some agreement where concessions are made on both sides and things go back to at least the way they were before the crisis in Ukraine, surely that's a possibility. And if it is, I mean, would you say, well, that's only delaying the inevitable then? Well, they want to delay it. Um, We're in a controlled demolition, so there is no going back. They're telling you that. They're telling you that it's the, the new normal. So what's happening in Ukraine right now, the, well, the sanctions, who, who were the sanctions aimed at? I mean, the sanctions hurt us. They didn't hurt um, Russia. Russia is still selling to China and India. They're getting their stockpiling at a discounted rate. And to Germany. Um, then you have the effects on Nord Stream. Now, um, 
Putin, there is the chance that there could be an escalation because they're kind of going deaf by a thousand cuts um, right now at Russia. He did make the, he shut down one of the, um, it was essential maintenance that reduced it to 40%. And then um, he said that there's going to have to be more maintenance, um, kind of put out a threat that's going to have to be more maintenance. But in order to fix that, because they have sanctions against import, you know, exporting to Russia, like semiconductors and certain things that Russia needs to function, it would have meant that in order to ship that over, they would have had a renege on their sanctions. So he was kind of, you know, playing games there. And um, that didn't happen. So he further reduced um, by 50%, which reduced it then to 20% outflow. For me, the reason that there was the explosion is that there was a high probability that Germany would have backed down on the sanctions. And now Germany can't back down on the sanctions. And then Russia also have a pipeline. They have a new pipeline um, going to China. That was like was a 400 billion deal of 30 year contract calculated in euros just before that was, I think, in the February um, of this year. So there is it's it's currency. It's currency wars. It's war games. And we are kind of thinking that it's um, based on something virtuous. People don't ask the questions. I mean, um, with these wars, would people be okay paying for them? Um, they're not asking the questions. Like the wars wouldn't happen if they couldn't afford them. So governments are printing off money, which is reducing the purchasing power of every pound that we have, and um, to send to Ukraine to fund a proxy war that benefits America. And um, it's a long-standing war. You know the history back yeah. in 2014. Um, but they know that if they approached the public and requested um, to increase taxes or reduce benefits for everybody to take a cut um, to fund this war, um, questions would be asked about how just and virtuous this war is. But it's the same thing, because in increasing the money supply, they're reducing your purchasing power. But people don't see it. People don't understand inflation is a hidden tax. If more people understood inflation, there would be more people on the streets. More people would come out against it. I've got to ask you this. It's 19 and a half minutes to the top of the year. I believe these agendas are real. I've, I've come to, to understand much of it over the last 10, 12, 13 years. So we look at it now and you've described it and where it's going. And you, you talked earlier on about how they're not remotely interested in climate crises. You know, they're not interested in protecting people from viruses. We we know this. You, you were absolutely right and proper to say that. So what do you think is going on then? And this is where I, I suppose I, I go a little bit spiritual. If these people, if the people responsible for these agendas know that the agendas are based on lies, that the planet isn't in danger, um, not from climate change and certainly not from viruses, why do they pursue these agendas? Is, is it for something more than just control over people and what people do and where they go? Is there something more malign about this maybe than most people are prepared to, to even consider? 
Um, I don't. I don't think that. For me, it is just that there is finite resources. Um, if you, okay, apparently the Earth has been here for four and a half billion years because scientists say so, and somebody has like an excellent computer and calculated and figured this out. But nobody knows. But let's just say for Tatsi, if that's that's correct. Um, two hundred years ago, there was an explosion in population. And there was an explosion in the use of energy. Prior to that, it was biomass. Now, this might not be the first time that this has happened. Um, we don't know. But there is finite resources. Finite resources with an increasing global population, um, with a reduction, like I say, in pop consumer population in the West is their problem. And carbon credits solves this problem. We can go back to, like I say, 1992, First Earth Summit. Um, where this idea was first created. Um, well, not for, but it kind of the basic bones of it traced back to them. So they, they wanted to maintain their lifestyle. Um, they're, they're trying to um, in, implement this carbon credits market. If you imagine it's like Bitcoin. So if you hold, if you held Bitcoin very early on and waited for it to rise, the more people that were interested, the more people that needed it. If Bitcoin did become currency, more and more people would need it. So your one Bitcoin increases in price. It's the same idea with carbon credits. So if you look at pollution, what causes pollution? It's consumption. But they built an economy dependent on constant consumption to bring about constant expansion of profits. So how can they continue to increase profits but reduce consumption? And that the consumption based, that's dependent on the debt-based economy, it's because they encourage debt to encourage more consumption. The solution um, is to rent and subscribe everybody up. Rent and subscribe. Can, can I just come yeah. back to something you said? Because you talked there about finite resources. Now, I pretty much agree with everything you've said. Uh, I probably shouldn't say that. And it generally makes a more interesting conversation if I contradict you or throw a few spanners in there. Um, but, but I can't ignore what you're saying. However, on the finite resources thing, isn't it true that there is or there are thousands of years worth of coal in the earth, not just in this country, but elsewhere. And that the the oil reserves around the world, Middle East and elsewhere, South America, again, thousands and thousands of years of reserves there. So there, there ought to be an energy crisis. The stuff is there if people want it to take it out of the ground and use it. Yes, there is. And there's also the possibility for nuclear yeah but um the it's still finite and there is concerns with the population growth because it's more when i'm talking about population but it, in terms of it being finite you have emerging um countries like india who are placing more demand it was okay when it was the west versus uh, with the dollar being the reserve currency and they could literally print dollars and um buy in commodities and assets but now these emerging company uh, countries want a piece of the pie they want to increase their lifestyle yeah. which is going to take away so it was all right when that's why the BRICS 
countries are getting together because now we're counting for over half the population getting together to fight against um, the West and the manipulation of the currency. So it's finite in that respect because while it is on the earth, it's the location of it on the earth that can be the issue. And it's also that it's bought out by big businesses who have an interest in keeping things, keeping the idea of um, shortages, because basically all prices is information regarding supply and demand. So if they manipulate the concept of supply, that there is a low supply, that means that they're going to get a higher price for it. Now that's interesting. Sorry to interrupt again, but that's really interesting because it sounds to me like you, and you might be right, by the way, um, you might very well be right. I don't know if you are, but you might be right, and a lot of people will agree with you, that what boils, what this boils down to is unimaginable, unprecedented greed and a desire for control and money. But there are those listening to us, and I know you've encountered people on, on, on your social media pages, and they say that maybe there's something more going on here that this might be a depopulation agenda. Now, I know you, it's something you've looked into as well, but mm-hmm. that it's even more malign, that this is manifestly evil, that this is driven by something else. And I don't mean supernatural forces or anything like that, even though there are those who do, you know, accept the possibility of such things. But they say it, it can't just be about resources and stuff like that. The, 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 the stuff is there, even if it's under the ice sheets in the Antarctic, even if it's in the Andes, it's there. None of this really makes sense that, yeah, you know, that people like us, you know, journalists and academics like you, maybe should consider that there is really something manifestly evil going on here and that this is some spiritual battle. Um, now, you're a pragmatist, I know that. You're, you know, more or less an economist. You're an academic. And I know you don't give, give a lot of time, or I'm guessing you don't give a lot of time to such notions. But I wonder these days, with some of the things I see going on, you know, well, they're quite open about their depopulation agenda. Yeah. They don't keep it secret. Um, like I say again, if you if you have the idea, now I don't. There is these elitists. I don't like the word elite because it gives them the idea that they're above. Yeah, um, better than us. Yeah, they they come from the idea of scarcity. For me personally, I think that the more people on the planet, the more chance there is in the idea of somebody's head to create something alternative. Like there has to be another Tesla come come along, you know, Nikola Tesla. There has to be another one come along that has all these solutions. So there's more chance of solution. But to in in their concept, there are too many people on the planet to meet the current energy supplies. And while the energy might be there, there isn't the infrastructure to get this energy to um, 7 billion people. Um, so they need to either reduce the population um, or pull back on all energy usage or both, and I which think, seems to be they're doing both. Yeah, and I think a lot of people listening to this will agree with you. And for most of my life, I've agreed with that. And I'm not saying I don't agree with it now. They want everything for themselves. They believe that there are too many people on the planet for the resources that are there. So they've come up with these... World Economic Forum solutions, which are terrible, in order to offset this problem that they believe exists. Now, a lot of people will go along with that. I'm, 
I'm not sure anymore. And and that's all I'm I'm going to say on that. I'm not sure. Because um I, I've never seen such evil. You know, in, yeah. in, in the last three years. I've I, I've never borne witness to anything like it. And I struggle at times to accept that this is just greedy people who want to retain the world's resources for themselves. That being said, I have to keep saying this and it's not because I want to, you know, kiss your backside or anything like that. I genuinely mean it when I say, you know, you might very well be right. I don't know. But what I I think I think we, we agree on, it's horrendous at the moment. I live I I live in a working class estate in Salford. I can tell you, Melissa, I can see it. I can see what it's doing to people. I go to Tesco on the precinct. It's a massive Tesco on the precinct. It's increasingly empty in there. They've given a profit warning. The ladies, mostly ladies who work on the checkouts there, they tell me they've never seen it as quiet. And they tell me, you know, some of them will know, not all, a few of them will know that I do this. And they will yeah. say, we, we're, we're struggling, Richie. We're horrified. You know, there were stories in the press last week about people scaling down Christmases. And you might look at that and you might think, that's just media scaremongering. Um, well, I've spoken to people who said they're scaling down Christmases. Children are not coming home from overseas or, you know, sisters in Australia are not coming over. It's terrifying for people. It's just manifestly evil. And maybe it's not helpful to use terms like that, to use language like that, but... But that's that's how I see it. Can I can I ask you in the last five minutes that we that, that we have going, um, with your massive big brain on you, do do you think we'll get out of it, Melissa? Absolutely. Why? This is what I'm saying because good. There is more. These people are evil. Um, good and evil, bad and good, yin and yang. It, it exists throughout nature. Um, like gut health, you have good and bad gut health, and there's a constant battle in your gut. Um, so there is more good people than there is bad people, but bad people are actively bad, good people are passively good. Um, they're crazy and we're lazy, but what's happening now is that the silent majority are starting to wake up, and if the majority are good and become active there's no way for them to win and they've come out they always it was always done behind the shadows the problem that they're having right now with the internet is that they need the internet for this level of control but it's highly dangerous because the information is getting out there so the what can we do the, the what we can actually do the best it's an information war so if you think even of Nord Stream um, people were getting their information from the news about Nord Stream. Now you can talk to people and you can tell them, you know, an alternative and you're not telling them what to think. You're saying, but this is, there's another side to this or show them Augustus Carson's um, statement about how um, if you have $100 right now, we don't know where you're spending it, but with central bank digital currency, we know everything and, and privy them to the fact that yeah. every pound dollar in existence is going to be tracked by the end of 2030. When people start seeing that and, tell them about carbon credits, and then they start seeing it being implemented slowly around them. And people will be, things are going to get very tight over the next six to 12 months because the government needs you dependent on them in order to get you onto universal basic income in order to implement this new system. There needs to be no alternative to the new system. But if people wake up before them, they get out in the streets. They're not publicizing it. They're in the streets of New Zealand. They're out in the streets of France. They're out in the streets of Italy. Then 
it backfires. So information for me, how we how do we um win this? It's an information war and we need to get the information out there and let people see for themselves. Absolutely right. Amen to that. And remind our listeners, Melissa, where they can find you online. I am on for as long as it lasts, I'm in Facebook jail again. Um, um I spent most of my time there. Suspended, yeah. Yes. Um because the information is dangerous, um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I don't do um, Telegram stuff, it's just too consuming. So I just put the same content out across and hopefully I'm not banned in one. No, you won't be. And I know <laughs> our, our listeners will, will, will know you from before. If um, you're hearing Melissa for the first time, um, Shume is spelled C-I-U-M-M-E-I. You'll find her on, as she said, Instagram and Facebook and elsewhere. Uh, please come back, by the way. It's always lovely to have you on, Melissa. It's uh, it's engaging and it's certainly enlightening. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Richie. Good talking to you. You too. And bye for now. Melissa Shumay live on Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. Lovely to hear from her again, even though it's, um, it's grim stuff, this, isn't it? It's coming up for five minutes to at the top of the hour now, coming rapidly to the end of today's programme. Just to give you a heads up, later on in the week, on Thursday, for an extended chat, Mark Windows will be back on the programme for an extended chat. There, I'm sure there are guests tomorrow. <laughs> but you know what I'm going to say, don't you? You know this, don't you? Because, well, you and I have been chatting for some time now, for some years. I don't have the bloody diary to hand, so I can't tell you. I'm a bit shite like that, so I am. But um, thanks for your comments, by the way. There are lots of them, and uh, I'm just going to read one or two. I'm going to read one or two. Come on, then. Website, open for me, please. Be good. Just do it now. Bloody hell. Going to have to find an alternative, you know. Not for the website, but we're going to have to find... Because I understand that TuneIn.com is now placing ads right in the middle of the live streams. So I could be interviewing Melissa there and you could be listening on TuneIn and then they, they might put three ads in but they don't pause the conversation. It continues on. So you miss out on maybe 90 seconds. And I don't know why this is. It didn't used to be the case so I'm going to have to speak to my friends at uh, TuneIn. Isabel says, to feel rich you need poor people. To feel elitist you need small people. Reducing the population number would diminish the gap between poor and rich. I think the game is to increase poverty to the highest possible level for the richest's wealth to appear even higher. It's very interesting, that. That is an interesting take. Thank you. Listen, we'll leave it there. That was Tuesday's programme. Look after yourselves and one another. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening or morning. I'll catch you again tomorrow on Wednesday at five o'clock. Until then... I'm going to leave you with Crowded House. I suppose this is a little bit apt, at least the title is anyway. It's a Don't Dream It's Over. Bye.